Hey, Christ community, how you doing? Is everybody good? Can we thank these guys for leading us in worship? Awesome to see you, those of you here in person, those of you who are worshiping with us online. I'm happy MEA weekend. Uh, if you're new to Minnesota, what this is, this is fall break. So um, it took us a little while to figure it out. But we are, uh, our teachers, our students, man, we hope you guys are getting a break and uh, you're enjoying this time. You deserve it. It's uh, tough. I got a couple of kids who are teachers, not in Minnesota. They're in teach they're another state. But man, um, if you're in education, this is the time, huh? And so we're really glad that our teachers are getting a little bit of a break, get away this weekend, breathe. So we're hoping that's true for you. And for those of our teachers who are traveling, hope they got the kind of weather that we got here in Rochester. That'd be horrible to leave Rochester and go to rain or something like that. We're getting it this weekend, it's so good. I'm glad to be with you. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Daryl Holden, one of the pastors here, and uh, my privilege to talk with you each week. Um, this week, we are returning to our study in 2 Corinthians. And if you have a Bible with you, you wanna turn with me, 2 Corinthians, we're gonna be in chapter two and chapter three a little bit. We titled this study of 2 Corinthians Verified, because these are some things that just are stamp of authentic authentication, I'm easy for me to say today. Um, these, these are things that are true, these are things that are trustworthy, these are things that if they're true about a person like this, you can count on this spiritually. And so what we're gonna look at and talk about today is um, this, it might feel a little upside down to some of you because it is, this is not the natural way of things, but it is the spiritual way of things. And so I'm really excited to share these things with you. I've been kind of digging around in them for a little bit and been looking forward to our time together this weekend. So if you will turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to start reading for us in verse 14. These words were written by the Apostle Paul, I don't know, 55 AD, somewhere around there, to an ancient church in the city of Corinth. And he, he starts, he says this, he says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So right away we're talking about something that, that you and I really don't have a frame of reference for, a triumphal procession. Maybe the closest thing that we would have in our culture would be a, a, a victory parade, like if your team won the Super Bowl or if your team won the World Series, or you know, your, your high school team won the state championship and they're coming back and you've got, you've got a parade that happens in honor of the people who are victorious. So, so that'd be the closest thing that you and I might experience to something like this. So in ancient times, they had what was called a, a triumph. Now I'll show you this picture of, this is an ancient artist's rendering of, of a triumph. And what would happen is an ancient army would win a victory it was a major victory for whoever sent them out. And this, these happened mostly in ancient Rome, ancient Greece. This is of an ancient Roman triumph. So you have a Roman general who takes his army and goes out and wins a major battle for the Roman Empire and the emperor hears of it and the emperor calls that general back and throws a victory parade in his honor. Now, in a triumph, what you would have is you would have at the head of that, you would have the conquering general. And in this little picture, he's riding elephants. He'd be on something that would make it very clear to everybody that he's, he's the guy who won. And then there would generally be the defeated leader of the army. They would make sure that that person was present 
And so that, that, and they would put him in a position where everybody was really clear that our guy won and this guy didn't. And there would be spoils of war that get paraded down the, the street there. And some of the historical accounts that I read and some of the pictures I saw, this, this, these spoils of war would be, be treasures, it would be jewels, it would be instruments of warfare, like if, if the opposing army had some creative armament of some sort, then they would grab that and bring it back with them to show off to their, the Roman people. They're like, hey, look what we captured. Sometimes there would be animals in this parade that would be exotic to Rome that might be from the place that they had conquered. And then you would have, after that, you would have people who had been captured as part of, so just the soldiers who had been captured by the conquering army. And, and they would kind of bring up the rear of the parade. And all along the route, there were the Roman people or the Greek people, if there was a Grecian parade, they, they'd be all along the route and they're just, they're just cheering their heads off for the conquering general and, and not only cheering for him, but they're just, they're jeering and mocking and making fun of the soldiers who were, who were captured, who were defeated. And, and this is kind of a religious thing too. It wasn't just like, it wasn't just a, a big party. It was a religious thing. And so often the, the triumph would go into or past a temple and there would be sacrifices that were made and there was incense that was burnt. And, and oftentimes the people who were either part of the triumph or along the lines of the streets, they would have flowers, they'd be tossing them at the, so just there would be aroma as part of this thing. And, and so there's this, this triumph that would have been very familiar to the first people who read this letter. And, and what the Apostle Paul writes here in these words is he, he makes this statement. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So, so Jesus Christ has won a victory and God has, like, this is the image that he's running with. Jesus has won a victory. God the Father is throwing a triumph for him and Paul, Christian people, are being led in that triumph as captives, bringing up the rear. And for captives in a triumph in ancient Rome, ancient Greek, Greece, where the triumph usually ended for them was either in slavery or execution, depending on which historian you read. Not sure which was the most common, but for, for the captives, it didn't seem to turn out really well. And so, so we're reading in scripture, thanks be to God who leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. He, he doesn't say thanks be to God who makes us conquering generals in Christ's triumphal procession or, or thanks be to God who lets us you know, kind of be right there with the spoils of war and celebrating on the victorious side. Or thanks be to God who lets us be a, you know, be a spectator of this thing. He says, thanks be to God who leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And so, so I think the spiritual principle that we're supposed to grab from this idea is, is that spiritual victory starts with surrender. All right, so this is, 
This is something that maybe doesn't feel natural. Spiritual victory starts with surrender. There's only one spiritual victor, it's Jesus. And, and there's the only way to receive victory, the only way to have victory is to receive it from him. And, and so you and I don't become victors by somehow winning a battle for ourselves. What we get to do is surrender to the victor and be led as captives in his triumphal procession, which does not end for us in slavery or execution as they would know it. It ends for us at the throne of God. So thanks be to God who, who leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession because when, when you and I surrender, when we give up, when we become captives of Jesus, the spiritual victory is beginning for us. So I was thinking, the guy who wrote these words, this is 2 Corinthians, we know him as the Apostle Paul. Early in our introduction to him in the Bible, it's a conversion moment for him. He was, he was so opposed to Jesus. He was so opposed. He was so opposed to Jesus that he, he was there and cheering on the crowd who killed the first Christian martyr. He was so opposed to Jesus. And after participating in the martyr, the first the killing of the first Christian martyr, he had orders with him and he was headed to this ancient city called Damascus. He had orders to go and he was looking, he was hunting Christians. And he's on his way to Damascus hunting Christian people and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, meets him on the road. And it's in, recorded for us in Acts chapter nine. <laughs> and in Acts chapter nine, Jesus appears glorious and powerful to him and knocks Paul to the ground. And Paul's question for him is like, who are you, Lord? And, and what happens in that initial spiritual moment for this guy that we know as the apostle Paul was he just, he, he had to put up his hands and surrender. Because he had, he had met someone, like he had met the spiritual victor. And, and to oppose and to fight and to like, he, no chance there. His, his response to who Jesus revealed himself to be was, was, who are you, Lord? And Jesus spoke to him and told him to do something, and his answer was, yes, Lord, and he did what Jesus did, what Jesus told him to do. And so, so it's this interesting and counterintuitive idea, principle, capital T, truth statement, that if you are looking for victory, it starts with surrender to Jesus. That, that you, you and I do not have, on our own, we do not have what it takes to win our own kinds of victories. We may be able to pull some things off. We will make some things happen. Maybe we'll do some stuff. But on our own, of ourselves, we don't have what it takes. We just don't have what it takes, particularly to win a victory in an area of your life where if you're sitting here today or you're watching online, an area of your life where, where you know 
You know it is not going the way you want it to go. It's not going the way it should go. It's not going the way it needs to go for you, for the people who are around you. And you need it to turn around. If, if you're gonna hang on to this and you're gonna continue to fight and it's gonna be your deal, like you're gonna fight it out yourself, you're gonna keep getting what you've got. You're gonna keep getting what you've got. Victory comes through surrender to Jesus. Thanks be to God. It's, isn't that an odd statement? Thanks be to God that he would lead us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Thank you, Lord, that I could get behind somebody who's already won the victory and just get to get in the flow of the victory that he has won. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And so there's this, this goofy little thing that's happening behind the scenes in this letter that's from chapter one. And what's going on is this church here, part of the reason Paul wrote this letter, this church is mad at him because <laughs> he said that he was gonna come visit them and then some things happened that he wasn't able to come visit them and he had pushed the trip off and he wrote a letter instead and so there's just there's some stuff going on here and, and part of what he's explained to them with this this triumphal procession idea is like, hey, I'm following somebody. I'm following somebody. I'm not, I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge of my own travel schedule. Like I'm, I'm following this triumphal procession, Jesus, and I'm following this victor, and following him didn't really mean that trip to Corinth that I thought was coming. It was a change of plans. And so he has, he has he's explaining himself that, that he's a captive, to somebody else, and what he's done is he has, he has surrendered himself to somebody else, and so what that means for him is that he goes where this one he's surrendered to takes him, recognizing that he's participating in Jesus's victory, and because he's participating in Jesus's victory, that, that change of plans, the frustration of the other people, what this looks like from the outside, doesn't matter to him because participating in Jesus' victory is totally worth it. And so if you want spiritual victory, it starts with surrender to Jesus. So, so the first little section here, that first verse, thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And then the next phrase there says, and, so not only does he lead us as captives, and he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. So again, this is, a, this is a sentence of thanksgiving, but what it is declaring is that we're being used by God. And so, so there's this idea of victory starts with surrender, and those who are surrendered then are now being used to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. So captives in triumphal, triumphal procession, carrying incense, tossing flowers, the aroma, all that kind of stuff, that they were being used. Those captives were being used for the good of the Roman Empire, for the good of the kingdom, for the good of the victor. Captives get used, and so this leads me to this next spiritual truth, is that spiritual freedom looks like servitude. Spiritual freedom looks like servitude. 
So victory starts with surrender and freedom looks like servitude being used by somebody else. Marie and I were having dinner this week with a friend and our friend is talking with her friend about Jesus and about living in relationship with Jesus and they're having this conversation about what it's like to live in relationship with Jesus and our friend's friend, they're friends, they know each other and it was funny because our friend told us at dinner, she said, yeah, my friend says, so, so if I enter in a relationship with Jesus, would, would I have to live like you do? <laughs> like that would be the worst thing in the world. Because what our friend's friend sees is her commitment to the Lord and how that plays out. She's, she's faithful church. She is pursuing purity. She has integrity. She is committed to a group. She has biblical community. She serves in the community. She serves at her church. She gives her time sacrificially. She gives her money sacrificially. I mean, from the outside, Looking in, it looks like servitude. But if you talk to our friend and you talk to others of us who are choosing to be used like that, what you'll be told is like, yeah, it, it, looks, it looks like it might be the worst thing in the world. But this is where freedom is found. And so spiritual freedom looks like servitude. And so those two little principles there, victory comes from surrender and freedom looks like servitude. And then he goes on, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. So we're being used to spread, again, staying with the triumph imagery and smell, the incense, flowers, all the, the aroma. So we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Always pleasing to God. Now, to people, among those who are being saved, it is Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing and to the one we're an aroma that brings death. To, to the people who are perishing, we're an aroma that brings death, and to the other, an aroma that brings life. And, and so now, there's a lot at stake in this. So these, these first people reading this letter are starting to understand the weight that, that the Apostle Paul carries personally. He's, he's kind of revealing his heart here for a moment, and the weight that Christian people carry of being the aroma of Christ, always pleasing to God, but having a, a ministry that to those, to those who are perishing, it, it smells like death. To those who are being saved, it smells like life, and it's just, it's this, it's this heavy, weighty thing, and so he asked this next question, who's, who's, who's up for this? You know, to the one that's in Roma leading to life and the other death, and who's equal to such a task? Who's equal to such a task? I mean, what is this that God, 
So I'm surrendering to you and I'm entering into this freedom that you offer. Other people look at it and think, that doesn't look very free, but we're living it and we know that it's free and there's, there's a weight, a spiritual weight that goes with it. Who's equal to such a task? So here's the answer to the question. You are, right? If you're a believer in Jesus, you are equal to this task. If you were with us last week, we talked about this. And if you weren't with us last week, I would really encourage you to go back and watch that message because this is, this is, that was the whole point of last week is that you are equal to the task that God has in front of you. You, you have what it takes. You have what it takes, not because you have what it takes, but because God has what it takes and he's willing to give it to you. A little farther down in these verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses four and five, he says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves, claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He's made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And just see that confidence, competence is from the Lord, which means you have what it takes. You do, you have what it takes to minister this life of Jesus to the people who are around you. You may be, you may be looking at yourself and thinking, I do not have what it takes. And you're right about that, but God will make you competent. The confidence that you can experience in this task that he has laid on you as you're surrendering to him, he makes you competent for these things. So there's a story that they told us in seminary, which is where they train pastors. And I think they probably, at all the seminaries, tell it to all the pastors because we all need to hear it, about this young pastor who it was his first chance to preach in church. So he'd been through all his training and he'd got his job and you know, all the things. And it was his chance to preach. And so he prepared, 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 and he, he worked real hard in the sermon and he had, you know, he had just the right jokes, he thought, and he had just the right turn of phrase, he thought, and he just, he'd spent so much time working on this sermon, and so when it was his turn to you know, head up on the stage, he just kind of bounded up there with all the, the confidence in the world. You know, that no one in his mind, like, hey, I have, I have worked on this, this is a funny joke to start, and it's you know, the right poem to end, and all the things, and as he looked out at the congregation, just like, everything in him shut down. And, and this 30-minute beautiful expression of a message kind of shrunk down to about an eight or 10-minute stammering through just kind of trying to read his notes and, and make it. And he just, he kind of, a quick prayer at the end, and he hung his head and, and walked off the stage, humbled, hum, humiliated by that. And, and so his mentor, pastor, who saw the whole thing, said, if you had, um, if you had gone up like you went down, you might have gone down like you went up. And it's who makes us competent for this amazing ministry of, of life? It's, it's not you, it's not me. It, it is God who, who makes us competent and gives us confidence 
you and I have what it takes. And so as I was thinking about this this week, this is not just a truth statement. This, this, needs, this becomes a faith statement. For people who will take this ministering the aroma of Christ, who will take that on, this, this becomes a faith statement. He makes me competent. Who's, who, who can stand up to this task? Well, I can't, but he makes me competent. And there, there has to come a point when you take that on as, as faith that he makes me competent because you've heard the little Christian cliche that God's never late, but he's seldom early, right? That's, that's true in so many arenas. Not, not just like if you're praying for finances or you need something to have, like that's, that's true in this arena of ministering Jesus's life to the people who are around us. God, God is never late, but he is seldom early. And, and the person who is walking where Christ is leading them and feels like, hey, I am ready for this. I got this deal, like I've got it nailed down. I'm good to go. You probably aren't. Right, but if, if, you are, if you are walking where Christ is leading you and you are ministering his, his life, if you are ministering what he has given to you and your hands are sweating and your gut is churning, you are ready. <laughs> you are right where you need to be because he's gonna give you what you need when you need it. He's not gonna give it to you early. He's gonna give it to you right on time. And so I'm just saying this to us. You may not feel like, like you have what it takes, and you may not be convinced that God's gonna show up if you step into what he has in front of you, but you just need to know. You have what it takes to minister life to the people who are around you, and and your father, your heavenly father, is gonna give it to you when you need it. Not early, on time. And so you do have what it takes to minister this life of Christ to those who are around you. And again, you're not ministering a bunch of rules. I really appreciate some of the stuff that we just read there. Not, not a bunch of rules that you or other people have to follow. You're not ministering. He says, we're, not, we're ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And he's, re he's referencing there, he's referencing the Old Testament law that in other places of the scripture, like the 10 commandments and all the other things that go along with that, those were holy and righteous and good, the scripture says. The problem with them is that they didn't come with any empowerment to obey them. So, so it's not that there's anything wrong with the Ten Commandments and those other laws that are around them. There's just they didn't have any power to obey them. And what you and I get to minister is life. If, if it's just like, hey, here's a bunch of rules for you to follow, then oh, check me out of that deal. I don't, I don't wanna stand up here or sit across the table from you or, and give you a checklist of rules that you have to follow that, 
that none of us can keep up with and it just, that doesn't lead anywhere. If you've, this is my church baggage show and I grew up in churches like that. There's a whole list of mostly don'ts and a couple of do's and it just, oh, it's exhausting and I don't wanna minister that. We have to minister life because we're ministering by the Spirit of God who lives inside of us and we get the privilege, what the Spirit of God does is he, he enables. He enables me to live it out and he enables the people, I'm, like he's the giver of life to the people that we get to minister this life to. And so, so we're giving what we have been given, we're offering what has been offered to us. Then down in verses 17 and 18 of chapter three, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And he's talking about a bunch of different things in there, but if I could just kind of keep with our big theme of the Roman triumph and being led as a captive. So spiritual victory begins with surrender. So I, I surrender to Christ and now I am, I am a captive. And he uses me. So, so not only am I a captive, but now I have, spiritual sense, I've, I've been enslaved. I've been captured and enslaved, and there's some laying down in that. There's some laying down in that. There's a, there's a lot of laying down of self in that. And there's humility in that, and there is what looks like, at times, even humiliation in that. I'm one of the guys at the back of the triumph. I wasn't even on the winning side. I got captured and drawn into this and now I'm, and the reason I love these verses here that talk about this ministry, that how he uses us for something that sounds restrictive, it sounds, it sounds humiliating, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It isn't restrictive, it's, it's freeing. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. It's, it's, not, it's not rub your face in the dirt, be jeered from, like, it's not, not that at all. It, there's, there's glory. <laughs> we, get to, we get to see glory, and not only do we get to see glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And, and so these kinds of things, that they, it, what starts is, if you'll start with surrender and servitude, if you'll start there, if you'll start with surrender and servitude, where you end up is with life 
and with freedom and with glory. If you'll start, if you'll start with surrender and servitude to the Lord, you'll end up with life and freedom and glory. Let me flip this around. If you, if you start with insisting on your kind of life, living life on your terms, because that feels like freedom, and your own glory doesn't end up there. Doesn't end up there. That ends nowhere good. But if you, if you will start with surrender and servitude, it ends with life and freedom and glory. So what I wanna do to wrap up, I wanna talk with you a moment about surrender, about spiritual surrender. Because we all, we all have things that we're, we're holding on to, that we're doing our best with, that, that maybe we're ashamed of, that we don't, we don't wanna invite anybody else into, that we wanna do it on our own. We've all got that kind of stuff. And, and for some of us, it might be the, the really big question of what happens after this life. Well, I don't know whatever's out there, but whatever's out there, I'm gonna earn it, I'm gonna deserve it. I'm insisting on, like, I'm gonna do this life, freedom, glory thing, I'm gonna make it happen for me. And it might be, it might be something that you're facing in a, in a marriage situation or in a relationship that you've got going or something that's happening at work or problem in the neighborhood or something that's going on with you at school. There are a hundred different places and what you and I as people, what's really natural for us is like, if I'm gonna win this, I'm gonna win it myself. And if you insist on that path, it doesn't go anywhere good. If you, if you, just, if you insist on winning it yourself, you're not gonna win. And so I wanted to talk with you about surrender. And and about how it might look for you today, like in this moment, to surrender. To, <laughs> to let Jesus take you captive. He loves you. So let me start there. He loves you. He loves you so much, he was willing to give his life for you. He rose again from the dead and now is the spiritual victor and he loves you so much he's willing to share his victory with you. But you gotta let him take you captive to do that. And that is, that is just a, a hands off, hands up moment, I surrender. I surrender. And so what I'd like to do in just a moment, I'm gonna pray for us. And here in this room, those of you who are in this room, we'll have people down front. And you, 
I'm gonna pray for us and dismiss us. You didn't, we're not gonna hang around if you grew up in a church that has an invitation tradition. We're not gonna do that. But just we're gonna have people down front who are willing to pray with you. If there's something you need to surrender. And those of you who are online, service host is there, and if you hit the let them know you need prayer, there's a chat room, and they'll pray with you so that you could surrender in these moments. And you, you walked into this room, you came to this service, maybe kind of thinking that you were free, but feeling enslaved, feeling trapped. You could, like you could let yourself be captured by Jesus and be done with this service and be done with whatever was that you were, like you just have refused to surrender to this point. You could be done with that too and you could, you could leave this service free. And what we want for you more than anything else is this freedom, this life, this glory that God offers to people who will let themselves be taken captive by Jesus. So would you guys bow your head and close your eyes with me? I'm gonna pray for us and then I'm gonna dismiss us and those who are on the prayer team will be down here in the front happy to pray with you. So Father, thank you. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Pray for myself, I pray for my friends who are participating in this service. Pray that that stuff that we've been trying to accomplish on our own, that we've been trying to do, that, that we have been hesitant to or even refused to surrender to you. It's our own life, our willingness to forgive somebody, to receive the forgiveness that you offer. There's so many things. I'm asking that you would give us the ability to see that in our own lives, the courage to be taken captive by Jesus so that we can minister this life, freedom, and glory that he's giving to us. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being, thank you for being safe. Thank you that this triumphal procession ends eternity in relationship with you in heaven. What a gift that you have given to us. And so thank you for loving us and because you've loved us, we say that we love you too. We pray these things in your name, amen.